Well, hi, Bridgeway. It's Pastor Brian. So good to be with you this weekend. I'm really excited to dive in to God's Word. We are in part two of our series called Connecting to Church, and I've entitled this message Radical Unity. Uh, Now, some might say this is sort of a weird time to do a series called Connecting to Church. How can this be a time when we're connecting to church when we can't even meet in person? And I think that's a fair question, but I want to encourage you with two just incredible realities before we get into the the scripture this weekend. And, And the first is this, is that we're in a season right now where for many of us, the activities that keep us disconnected have been removed. Now, I know a lot of us are dealing with all sorts of challenges right now. A bunch of us are working a ton. A bunch of us are, are, are dealing with the challenges of, of working from home and trying to navigate all of that. So I don't in any way mean to imply that life is easy. But the truth is a lot of the activities, again, that keep us disconnected have been removed. That There are now opportunities for connection with others because so many of the distractions have been removed. This is in many ways a season of incredible connection. And that leads into my second point, which is this. I've been saying this in kind of private conversations with different people and in other environments for weeks, but in many regards in these last couple of months, there has been more connection happening at Bridgeway than what would happen during a quote unquote normal time. So many of you are engaging in services online. We've got missional communities and groups and classes that are meeting via Zoom. There are so many different environments where people are connecting and people are getting creative in how they connect with one another. I've been so encouraged to see the way that our church family has used this time to invest in our relationships with one another and how we've used this time to continue to grow closer to Jesus together. And, and I just want to tell you, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, that all sounds great, but, but I'm not feeling real connected right now. We, we want to help. We don't want you to walk through this season alone. V- visit us at bridgeway.church forward slash connect and, and let us know how you'd like to be connected and a member of our team would sure love to follow up with you. Or, or if you're in a position where you just need someone to walk alongside you, you're, you're walking through something difficult right now. Maybe it's related to, to the pandemic. Maybe it's just kind of the challenges of life, which, which don't get paused in the midst of all of this. We've got just a whole team of, of chaplains and pastors and, and others who would love to be able to come alongside with you and, and, and pray with you and just help you through what you're going through. So you can go to bridgeway.church forward slash care to learn about all of that. I just want you to be encouraged that that opportunities for connection are all over the place. And connection is happening here at Bridgeway in this season, and it's really exciting. It's looking different than we ever could have expected, but be encouraged that God is working and connection is happening. So would you join me in a word of prayer and we'll dive in to the message for this weekend. God, we thank you that that is true, that even In these bizarre circumstances, connection is happening. Thank you that in these circumstances, your church is alive and active. And we thank you for this moment right now where we are able to look into your word that speaks your truth in all times and all places. And God, we can open your word knowing that you have something to say to us today. So Holy Spirit, wherever we are right now, would you speak to us through your word? Would you encourage us through your word? Would you remind us of who you are 
through your word. And God, may this not simply be an exercise in going through the motions, but may this be a transformative time where we encounter you through your scripture. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, we are in the middle of, a ser- of this incredible section of scripture called Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And I told you that we're part of a series that's called Connecting to Church. And in this section of scripture, Paul is talking about unity that is possible because of all that Jesus has done for us. And last week, Pastor Lance started off the series by walking through how in the time before Jesus' life, there were centuries, if not millennia, of division between Jews and Gentiles. And he showed us how in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, For he himself, meaning Jesus, is our peace, who made us both one, and who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he goes on to say that Jesus has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Pastor Lance helped us see that God heals deep division. That only God can heal deep division. Only God has the power to overcome the divide between Jew and Gentile. And only God has the power to heal the deepest divisions in our world today. And I think that you'll agree as we sort of continue to explore that theme this weekend that we live in a divided world. See, see, as technology expands and and globalization rises, see, you and I, we have access to more opinions and more worldviews and more cultures and perspectives than any time or any generation in human history. And there's a lot of good that comes with that. As we encounter different cultures and, and different ideas, we can grow in our sense of empathy. We can see that there's a lot that connects us even as we're different. And we can even become aware of some of our own blind spots as we interact with people who maybe view the world a little bit differently than we do. See, and and, and then also as Christ followers, greater exposure to the world around us can help inspire new and creative ways of sharing the gospel and helping to communicate the love of Jesus. But there's a dark side to all of that as well. Our increased awareness of the world around us can also lead to division. It can lead to us feeling threatened by people who look differently than we do or think differently than we do. And what that can do is it can cause us to want to withdraw and surround ourselves only with people who look like us and think like us and affirm the things about us. And what, can, what that can happen is it can cause us to be harsh and demeaning towards those who think differently. And I think you'll agree, unfortunately, that sort of perspective, you don't have to look far to find it in our world today. And here's the thing, if we're really honest, we have to recognize that you and I, we can be very easily manipulated into thinking divisively. So, like, to give you an example, I was raised in, here in Northern California. And growing up in Northern California, I did not really have much of an opinion about the colleges UCLA or USC, which are two colleges in Los Angeles. I was a sports fan, so maybe sometimes I'd see their games on television, and if I had a a rooting interest, it maybe had more to do with my general preference for the color blue, which is UCLA's color, than the color red, which is USC's color. I really just, I I didn't really care, right? But see, that all changed right after high school when I enrolled to become a student at UCLA. 
And I still remember to this day going down for freshman orientation during the summer. And during that weekend, they showed us a whole bunch of stuff, helped us get acclimated with the campus. But it was no small part of the weekend, no small amount of energy was invested in making sure every single one of us who was present recognized that UCLA stood for all that is good and righteous in the world and that USC was the epitome of evil right? They made sure we went home very clear on those truths, right? And in fact, I remember that was so deeply ingrained in us that I remember attending a UCLA and USC football game the fall of my freshman year and then seeing children dressed in USC apparel and thinking, oh my gosh, that's just, how could they do that to that young poor child? She's being brainwashed. And now listen, that's a silly college rivalry. Those sorts of things are part of what makes college fun. It doesn't mean anything. But sadly, real divisive perspectives are all too common in our community and in our world. And our world is very divided as a result. But but here's the thing that, that that I wanna point out. Nearly all of us would agree that the world is divided. But very few of us think that we're part of the problem. See, very few of us would answer the question, why is the world so divided with something like, oh, well, that's easy. It's because of people like me. Nobody thinks that. But maybe, just maybe, if we could be humble enough to open ourselves up to the possibility that that, that maybe if we're honest, we're part of the problem, then maybe God would empower us to be part of the solution, to bring healing to our divided world. Because last week, Pastor Lance said it, God heals deep division. He said that it's human nature to divide, but you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we are not merely human. If the Spirit of God lives inside of us, we don't have to settle for division. We can join God in the healing and restorative work that he is doing in the world. And what we'll see is is the fill in the blank that you can fill in if you're following along on the Bridgeway app, and it's this, that Jesus inspires true unity. That Jesus inspires true unity. That there are a thousand worldly agendas and ideologies that thrive on dividing us, but Jesus inspires true unity. And when our greatest loyalty is to him, he empowers you and I to be voices of hope and healing and unity in a world that so desperately needs it. And I think our world needs unity at any time, but that's especially true with everything we're going through right now. So we're going to read starting in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 17. And just to briefly recap, in the verses right before these ones, Paul has said that in Christ, those who were far off have been brought near by his blood. He said that Jesus is our peace and he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Paul says, he has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And those are powerful words describing the healing and the unity that Jesus has brought between Jew and Gentile. And now it continues with this in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off 
and peace to those who were near. See, when Jesus came, he came, he came to knock over water bottles. That's what he came to do. When Jesus came, he came with a message of peace. He helped us to see that peace with God really is possible. One of the verses that we just looked at said that he is our peace. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes that Jesus reconciled to himself all things and made peace by the blood of his cross. And then after Jesus died and he rose, what were the very first words he said to his disciples when he came to see him? He said, peace be with you. Jesus preached preached peace from beginning to end. Peace pervaded his message in his earthly ministry. And when the Bible talks about peace, it's not simply talking about the absence of conflict. It's referring to this sense of wholeness and settledness. And why is this important? It's important because I believe divisiveness thrives when peace is absent. Divisiveness thrives when peace is absent. If you look at the most divisive voices in our culture today, they are not voices that exude a lot of peace, are they? When, when, we, when we ourselves lack eternal peace, we can get sucked into this destructive vortex of anger and insecurity and division. But listen, 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 listen when I say this. When we're peaceful, when we know who we are, when we know who our Father is, when we know who God has made us to be, we know we don't need that. We don't need to play into the division. We don't need to play into the anger. We don't need to play into and follow those types of destructive voices and messages. When we are connected to the Prince of Peace, then the divisive games of the world lose their appeal. The divisiveness in our own heart will be starved out and replaced by the peace of Christ. And we can be people who exude kindness and compassion instead of anger and division. Later in Ephesians, Paul will refer to the gospel of peace. The gospel, which is the good news that a relationship with God, our relationship with God that has been broken by sin can be restored through faith in Christ. It is a message of peace. And if we're not peaceful, if we're feeding into the divisiveness in our culture, maybe it's a sign that we've let our culture influence us a little too much. And we're not allowing God's peace to influence us quite enough. Maybe we need to allow Jesus to preach his message of peace to our hearts. Let's keep going. What is the basis for the type of peace I'm talking about the type of peace that allows us to be unifiers and not dividers. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. When we respond to Jesus, when we place our faith in him, the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us access to the Father. We can connect with our Father through prayer. We can express our anxieties and our worries and our frustrations to him. And we can ask for his peace. 
And I love what Paul says. He says, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Keep in mind, he is talking to Gentile believers who had spent much of their lives believing and being told that they were somehow second class or that they had somehow been excluded. And what's Paul saying to them? He's saying, don't you think for a second that somehow you're an outsider? The same Holy Spirit that lives in you grants you the same access to the Father as anyone else. We all have access to the Father through his Spirit. And see, some of us, we need that message today because our ability to be peacemakers and unifiers in a divided world flows directly from our connection with God who gives us peace. See, Jesus inspires true unity. So it's necessary that we remain under his influence if we are going to be voices of peace and unity in our world. And I need us to understand this is so important. The unique historical moment you are in and that we are in together has caused a lot to change. The unique historical moment that we are in has caused a lot to change, but it has not changed your access to God. The unique historical moment we are in may have impacted your physical health. It may have impacted your job status. It may have impacted your bank account or your financial security. It may be causing some, some psychological and emotional and mental and even spiritual stress. All of that stuff is very real and all of that stuff is very serious. But I need you to understand what has not changed is your access to your heavenly father you still have access to him. He is a good father who invites us to come to him in our struggle, in our doubt, in our distress, in our pain, and to experience his peace. I've been thinking a lot lately about the famous words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11, where he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And this is the phrase that gets me every time I read it. And you will find rest for your souls. See, if we're going to be unifiers in this world, we need to experience the rest for our souls that Jesus offers. That is what makes us peaceful. See, through your faith in Christ, you have access to the Father. He is the one who gives you rest. He is the one who gives you peace. And his peace, hear me on this, his peace is a radical alternative to the divisiveness and defensiveness that dominates so much of our world. But it gets better. Verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Uh, Paul says to these Gentile believers, you are no longer strangers and aliens. And these are not, to make no mistake about it, these are not random terms. Paul chose these terms very carefully because they were common in political life in Ephesus and in the Roman Empire. A stranger was a complete foreigner who had no rights or privileges whatsoever. They were the lowest of the low. They had essentially no means of advocating for themselves. 
And then aliens were non-citizens who had some rights, but not many. They had no place to call their own. They, they knew that, they, that while they lived in the land, the land or the city was not their home. Whereas Roman citizenship, on the other hand, was highly prized. It was only full citizens who enjoyed full civil rights and full protection. Citizenship was something that everyone wanted, but that few received. The, the readers of this letter were all too familiar with the pain of being denied citizenship in their community. Consider also that at that time, the temple in Jerusalem, which was the center of Jewish spiritual life, included what was called the court of the Gentiles, which marked the closest to the center of the temple that non-Jews were allowed to go. Literally for Gentiles, their separation and exclusion was built into the very architecture of the temple. One New Testament scholar put it this way. He says that Gentiles were simply tolerated. They were not approved. And Paul says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. The exclusion you have felt is no longer valid. And he says, you're not just citizens. I, I love this word. He says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. And what I love about this is Paul does not say, well, Jews are now Gentiles and Gentiles are now Jews. He says that through Christ, all are fellow citizens with the saints. There is no hierarchy. There is no greater than or less than. There is a place at God's table for everyone. He is at the head and that is where the hierarchy ends. The rest of us are equal. And see, when we let the gospel seep into our hearts, it can transform us and root out some of these impulses that cause us to divide. When the gospel seeps into our heart, it roots out the impulses that cause us to divide because it helps us to see that we are all fellow citizens at God's table and that there is a seat at God's table for all who would respond in faith to Christ. So what the gospel does is it roots out so many of our divisive impulses. The, the gospel roots out nationalism where we would elevate our culture above any other. It roots out racism that would cause us to mistreat others on the basis of their ethnicity. It roots out classism that would cause us to judge others based upon their socioeconomic status. It roots out any number of worldly ideologies that would cause us to band together only with people who look like us and think like us. And it helps us to see that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of of the world and he opens his arms wide and says all are welcome if you would respond in faith. So what that means is that you and I as followers of Jesus, that our primary message to a watching world can be you don't need to think like me. You don't need to look like me. You don't need to vote like me. You don't need to be in my same tax bracket. You don't need to live in my zip code, but we can be united in one family through our common faith in Christ. There is forgiveness available for you. There is transformation available for you. There is redemption available for you in Christ. And because of what Jesus has done, we can have a sense of unity that transcends anything that could ever possibly divide us. And I'm telling you, church, there are so many voices in this world that are seeking to divide us, but Jesus is a uniter. 
He inspires true and real unity. Now, before we move on, I want to point something out. Paul says that Jews and Gentiles are fellow citizens with the saints. And I said a moment ago that that doesn't mean that Jews become Gentiles or that Gentiles became Jewish. They maintained their distinctiveness even as they were united together. Why is that? And what, what, why, do, why do we care? Why does that matter for us today? I want to I tell you why. It's important because unity does not mean uniformity. And disagreement does not have to mean division. I'm going to say that again. Unity does not mean uniformity. And disagreement does not have to mean division. When I say that Jesus wants to unite us, it doesn't mean that we all need to be the same. See, we're united by the core truths of the Christian faith. But within that unity, while there's agreement on those core truths, there can be diversity in other ways, right? We're going to be different from one another in our passions and interests. We might even be different from one another in our beliefs about secondary issues. But what Jesus does is that he becomes this powerful cord that holds us together so that we can learn from each other, so that we can be challenged by one another, so we can honor and celebrate our differences as we honor and celebrate our unity. So unity does not have to mean uniformity. And then similarly, disagreement does not have to mean division. See, divisiveness is a problem to be sure, but disagreement and divisiveness are not the same thing. Because here's what happens, and I see this all the time. What we tend to do is we find our identity in our opinions. We see this all over the world today. We find our identity in our opinions. So when someone disagrees with us, on a theological issue, or a political issue, or a parenting issue, or how things should be done in our workplace, or any number of issues, we're not able to have a humble, reasonable, sober-minded conversation about the issue at hand. Instead, what happens is out of our insecurity, we feel personally attacked, and we become defensive. And listen to me, defensiveness and divisiveness live in the same neighborhood, and that is not a neighborhood where you and I need to be hanging out, if you catch what I'm saying. But see, the alternative to that is if our identity is in Christ, we can be humble enough to realize that sometimes we're going to be wrong about some things. We can be humble enough to realize that sometimes we're going to be challenged and just because we're being challenged doesn't mean someone's being divisive. We can be humble enough to realize that sometimes we need to change our mind. We can recognize that sometimes someone who disagrees with us might inspire us to change our own thinking and that that's okay. And most of all, we can be humble enough to recognize that disagreement on issues does not have to lead to division. And see, sometimes we even maintain our disagreement. But that doesn't mean we have to divide. I mean, I think about some of you, some of my closest friends at Bridgeway are people who I have some pretty significant disagreements with on all sorts of issues. But you know what we do? We hug each other, pre-quarantine, of course. We hug each other. We're friends. We enjoy one another in spite of our disagreements because the unity we share in Christ is far more important to us than anything we might disagree on. And see, sometimes those friends and I will discuss and debate our differences. But, but hear me on this. This isn't like two random people yelling at each other on the internet, which is 
pointless. It's friends who have enough love and trust for each other that they can disagree without getting defensive, and they can debate while knowing that the relationship is secure no matter what. It doesn't mean we agree. It doesn't mean we even have to say that we can both be right, because sometimes that's not possible, but it means that our disagreements don't threaten our unity. See, when we're united in Christ, I, I think about, just, it is difficult to overstate What a a miracle of God it is that he's able to unite Jew and Gentile. If he's able to unite Jew and Gentile, two populations that were so divided, can't he unite us? And can't we be people who learn how to disagree without dividing? What's my point in all of this? My point is that divisiveness is the air we breathe in our culture. We're taught to degrade and demean those who think differently than we do but Jesus teaches a better way. Jesus teaches us how to be unifiers instead of dividers. He doesn't ask that we're all the same, but he asks us to recognize that there's room for everyone at God's table. We're fellow citizens, arm in arm, working together to further God's kingdom. And look at the language Paul uses as we continue through the passage. He says, you are members of God's household. Paul moves from citizenship language, which would have been a huge deal in Ephesian culture, to household language. Paul says, Jesus didn't just make you fellow citizens, he made you part of the same family. And in a healthy family, people love each other. In a healthy family, people contribute. In a healthy family, the unity of the family matters far more than any sort of disagreement. And I need you to understand, you and I, were invited to be part of God's family if our faith is in Christ. Because no matter what is different about us, if we share faith in Christ, we have the same father. We're part of the same family. And the text continues. It says the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And this is a picture of the church. It's imagery that would have been so powerful to Paul's readers. Because for nearly a thousand years, from the time of Solomon all the way through to the time of Herod, the physical temple was the focal point of Israel and Israel's connection to God. And Paul is saying a new temple has been made. There is a new place for God to dwell. And it's not a physical structure, but it's people. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are the new temple. And it's a temple built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And most scholars agree that is a reference to the prophets who wrote the New Testament and maybe even also the prophets who wrote the Old Testament. The the important point is, this is a new temple made up of people. And its foundation is the word of God that has been recorded by the prophets and the apostles. See, if we're believers in Christ, the Spirit of God lives in us, and we build our lives on the foundation of God's Word. I love that imagery, right? That we're we're, we're a living temple built upon a foundation. And what is that foundation? It's the foundation of God's Word. And I just want to tell you, as we're in this weird historical moment, there's nothing like the storms of life to reveal what's really at our foundation. Jesus invites us to build our lives upon him and upon his word. And maybe for some of us that are getting rattled by this season, that this would be a gracious reminder for us from our heavenly father to make his word our foundation. And the text goes on. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is the one who makes the whole building possible. See, in the ancient world, the cornerstone was the very first stone that was laid in a construction project. The builder used great care to set the stone properly. The cornerstone is the stone by which every other stone is measured. And every other stone was to be in line with it. And the metaphor here is that Jesus is our living cornerstone. That then the apostles and the, and the prophets who wrote God's word become our foundation. And as we are in alignment with Jesus and we build our lives on the foundation of his word, you and I are like living stones who are built into this beautiful structure that is the church. The church that is far more than a building or a physical location, but is instead a family, a household of believers who are united in alignment with their cornerstone. I love that metaphor for what the church can be. And then the passage finishes, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As we align ourselves with our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, we together become God's dwelling place. God dwells in us, God works through us. God gives us a radical sense of unity that transcends our differences. We're able to be a diverse community that is united by faith in Christ. We're able, in, in a loud and divisive and angry world, we're able to be a humble community of people who are willing to listen, who are willing to learn, who are willing to grow, and who are even willing to change our minds when needed. We are able to be people who do not let any worldly ideology that would seek our allegiance, interfere with our allegiance with Jesus Christ and our unity with Christian brothers and sisters. And all of this reminds me as I begin to wrap up of a famous quote that's attributed to Abraham Lincoln that perhaps you've heard of. It was said that during the height of the Civil War, he was asked if God was on his side. And it would be easy to imagine any, no, any number of influential leaders from Lincoln's time until now answering that question with something like, oh, absolutely, God is on my side, and then throwing some insult or demeaning comment towards anyone who would oppose him. But that's not what Lincoln did. In response, Lincoln said, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My concern is to be on God's side, for God is always See, each and every one of us, we have a choice to make. We can feed into the defensiveness and divisiveness of our world. We can insist that God is always on our side, that we are always right, that he endorses our every opinion and whim and preference. Or we can humbly seek to be on his side. We can humbly seek to align ourselves with our perfect cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We can celebrate unity and diversity. We can celebrate this beautiful reality that God has made all of us fellow citizens in the household of God. We can celebrate that just like there is room for us, there is room in the household of God for people who are different from us. And we can witness to the good news of Jesus Christ by being a force for unity in a defensive and divided world. Imagine, Bridgeway, in this anxious and fearful time, what do you think God would do if we lived out our calling to be uniters before a watching world?
What do you think God would do if we were relentless at loving and, and being united with those with whom we disagreed on secondary issues because our unity in Christ was so much deeper? I think a lot of people would want to see what the family of God is all about. I think God would get a lot of glory. So my encouragement to you is let's be people who turn down the volume of the divisive voices in our culture. Let's resist our own urge to throw gas on the fires of division that seem to be erupting all around us. And let's seek to align ourselves with our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and let him connect us together. And let's shine for him, united by him, before a watching world. I love you. I miss you. I'll see you soon. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are a uniter. We thank you that there is room for everyone at your table. And God, I pray that all of us who have responded to you in faith, all of us who call ourselves your children, that we would be forces for unity and compassion in our world. God, I pray that as I said a moment ago, we would be able to turn down the volume on divisive voices. And I pray that each one of us in our own ways that we can contribute to unity and healing within the body of Christ and within our world. God, we know that you are at present and you are at work. We thank you for a church that is not stopped no matter what. We thank you for technology that allows us to worship together. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.